When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Welcome to the Happy Vagina, where we shame bust thoughts and feelings around all things sex, gynecology, and female body judgment. We share honestly about our experiences, so you can do the same, leading us all to better health, better sex, and better lives. I'm Mika Simmons, and today on the Happy Vagina, I am ecstatic to introduce Kate. Devlin, academic and writer, currently senior lecturer in social and cultural artificial intelligence and author of Turned On. Kate, welcome to the Happy Vagina. Never has there been such an appropriate guest. Thank you very much. It's lovely to be able to talk to you. Where are you at the moment? I'm at home in London in the makeshift office in the corner of my bedroom where I've been spent the summer trying to move university courses online. Ah, oh, how's that gone for you? Let's not talk about that. <laughs> <laughs> it's it's been uh it's been a challenge but I think we're getting there there's some sort of irony in the fact that it's challenging to move an AI course online Kate there is a certain irony in that definitely but then so much of what I do what AI does is about people and the social side of things so in a way yeah it's it's not too surprising I'm so pleased that you said that because it gives me the opportunity to share my blush with our listeners today because while I know a lot about relationships and I know quite a bit about sex and I've trained as a therapist and I work as an actor so all of that feels very much in my bones I am still quite frightened of tech so just you saying that tech is really for or AI rather I should say is really for human beings of course I know that somewhere deep inside but I I don't it's not in my bones in the same way it is with you and I'm and I'm really excited to ask you some pretty stupid questions today if you don't mind not a problem at all I wouldn't I wouldn't consider any question stupid so far ahead oh I love you already Kate (laughs) you are someone who trained as an archaeologist and while I don't find that a particularly peculiar route that you've ended up being so interested in something that to a certain extent is is embedded in its own history but I, I just wondered if you could say a little bit about how you came to being so interested in AI and AI sex. People. Uh, it really does boil down to people and how they interact with technology. And I became an archaeologist initially after my undergraduate degree. And then I went back to specialise in computer science because the chances of getting a job were much better if I had a specialism. And then I kind of stuck around in computer science and I was really, really interested in the way that we interact with technology. And from that, I got more and more into human computer interaction, which studies the psychology of the user and how we create good user experiences. And that led on into artificial intelligence, which looks at how we can take data from hundreds, thousands of different sources and put together software that 
the ultimate ga- aim is to try and have this system that is intelligent. Um, we're a long way off of very intelligent systems. Uh, we're a long way off any general intelligence in computing, but we have some really good machine learning that can do pretty clever stuff. Uh, and I find that just so engaging. And then from there, we looked at, you know, what, what could, where could things go with robotics? Because if you put AI into a robot, this is very powerful. And, you know, could we have robots that care about us? Could we have robots that feel pain? Because if you could give a robot the ability to feel pain, it could limit damage to itself, for example. And what happens if we have robots that could love us or ro- robots that could desire us? And what happens if we desire them? So, of course, in the pub, having conversations about this, we thought, that sounds like a really, really interesting thing to research. And there were all these lurid headlines coming out about sex robots. Sex robots are coming, which is the common pun. Uh, sex robots will be here and they'll replace women. And I just kept thinking, that doesn't, that doesn't chime with anything I know about the technology. What is going on here? So I sort of delved deep to find out what the truth was. Mm, mm. And and through through your research into the book, and the book is absolutely fantastic. I've read it, and I've also listened to it on audio with your dulcet tones. Ah, yes, <laughs> I, I really enjoy it when people read their own books. But did you find that you got what you wanted out of it? Is it that you now need to know more? Have you got the bug? I have got the bug, and there's still loads to learn, I think, because it's in such a stage of infancy still. And we're living in a really, really exciting time when we're starting to form these interesting social bonds with machines. So you'll see stories recently in the news about robots for care homes, for example. And it's not a matter of replacing the human. It's a matter of a new social category where we engage with these big pieces of technology in a new way, and we put them into a particular social niche. And I find that fascinating and it's still ongoing and there's loads to learn. So your focus is not just in the sex bots. You're actually really interested in human robots or, or, or robots that are the closest to a human that we could get. Well, yes and no, because I'm, I'm particularly interested in the intimate side of things. So I got very interested then in from the sex robots in more sex tech more broadly about what was out there and why. So the archaeologist in me was was kind of really keen to follow these rabbit holes of sex toys from the dawn of time sort of thing. So we have, you know, there are sex, well, phallic shaped objects from about 28,000 years ago that have been excavated on sites. And you think, well, what were they used for? And then we know, for example, from history from the ancient Greeks that they had things like dildos uh, made out of many different things, leather, bread, all sorts of things. And following that path through sex tech and sex toys and finding out where this idea of the human the artificial human comes in was really really tantalizing Mm, and I have to admit having read your book and and kind of looked into your work and around the subject I am now a little bit hooked too going back to that piece of knowledge that you have which many people may not have known that there were dildos in ancient Greece so just rewinding a bit now how do you know that? How do you know? Because what often happens with sexual objects is that they are disguised as a massager or, <laughs> you know, how, archaeologically, how, when they were looking into those dildos of ancient Greece, how did they know that was what they were for? Well, those ones are written. There's written uh, accounts of it there. So that that definitely happens. Um, as well as that, you see pictures on on 
things like Greek vases. There were black and red, red figure vases that have all kinds of erotic scenes on them. Um, and we know from records back then, and including things like uh, plays from ancient Greece, so Lysistrata, uh, which is a play about the women of Greece denying men sex to force them to negotiate peace and, and end the war. Um, they have a, a bit in that play that talks about the wish for an artificial substitute. So, you know, um, the quote was, I'm not the slightest glitter of a lover. And since the Milesians betrayed us, I've not seen the image of a single upright man to be a marble consolation to us. And it talks about this idea that you have some kind of stand-in for the penis. Mm-hmm. So we definitely know from, and, and I'm, I'm really lucky in that a really good friend of mine is a classicist who works on things like porn in in classic times. And she and I did a lot of discussion and talking together and some research to look at uh, what was going on then and how were these things portrayed. So that was really fun too. Mm, so in your inner circle, you've got an encyclopedia, an ancient sex encyclopedia, it sounds like. Yes, pretty much. Yeah. I think I need her in my world. <laughs> <laughs> Just staying on the subject of dildos and, and, and moving on slightly to vibrators, because there is a myth or is it a truth on the internet that vibrators were developed by doctors who were insistent that women who were near to nervous breakdown or struggling with severe anxiety, they discovered that the way to calm or heal these women with the hysteria was to give them an orgasm and that the doctors were then struggling with I guess, an RSI in their wrist because the poor doctors were being forced to heal these women via sexual pleasure. And that was kind of running around as a truism for quite a long time as the reason that vibrators were developed. Then it became that's the reason that dildos were developed. As you've just proved, that's not true. Do you have any insight into that conversation? Yeah, so that was been around for quite a while, as you say. I think uh, it was from Rachel Main's book, which was called The Technology of Orgasm. And yes, there was this this idea of hysteria, the the idea of this medical condition of hysteria uh, was came from um, a diagnosis that the uterus was the cause of all sorts of, sort of nervous conditions. And the, for centuries, they thought that the womb wandered around the body. And mm. this was held right up until sort of 17th century enlightenment. And Rachel Main's book suggests that a woman, bringing a woman to orgasm was seen as a cure for this. But I didn't find any evidence of this. And quite a few other people before me hadn't found any evidence of this and have said that this is a misreading of sources. And there's a really wonderful book called Buzz by Hallie Lieberman. And she has a PhD in sex toy history and she couldn't find anything about the use of vibrators for hysteria. What we do know is that the first electromechanical vibrator appeared in the late 19th century by a British physician called Joseph Granville. And he created this electronic vibrating device as kind of for re- muscle relief. And then, of course, and he actually is quite, he's quite clear that it's not for sexual purposes. But of course, it very conveniently works very well for sexual purposes. So over mm. time, that's mm. what it came, became used for. Mm-hmm. And you don't think that you know the young man does protest too much? No, he seemed to be uh, he seemed to be quite very 
wanting to really distance himself from that. And if we think about the norms at the time, masturbation was incredibly taboo at the time. Um, sex is like much, much more open and free in Victorian times than we would think. And, um, Fran Riddell has done a really good book on Victorian sexuality about this. So there was, the Victorians placed a lot of importance on sexual pleasure within the bounds of marriage, but masturbation was considered to be, as I badly pun it, a very touchy subject. <laughs> I love it, a touchy subject. Do you know why? Well, I I don't for sure. I think, you know, it was unacceptable. It was considered to be dangerous. And I think there was a lot of moralising in there as well. And probably because of the biblical idea of onanism and spilling your seed on the ground and all this kind of thing. I think it had just become one of those things that was considered to be not that nice and we you know shouldn't engage in it. Mm-mm. Also, potentially something to do with the Christian institution of marriage that was heavily yeah. given during that period, which would suggest that heterosexual or the heteronorm and having penetrative sex would be the only way to have sex. That's right. And, and that has been around from medieval times onwards, even earlier, uh, where the church has basically been the, had this, the abilities of sanction what is and what isn't considered acceptable in terms of sex. And that's got a very long hangover from that still today. Mm, and, and I think um, we are moving into a period of time where pleasure, particularly female pleasure, is having a real revolution and we're all very grateful for it. And, and, and women are talking more openly and therefore hopefully sexual relationships will will get better no matter what your sexual persuasion. And it's a really exciting time, I think, sexually for women because of that. And then we come to AI and we have these incredible dolls that are being made. And I don't know if anyone's seen Samantha, but I think Samantha, is there, are there still two in the world or are there more than that? There are pretty much today no commercially available sex robots out there that you can purchase right now. But there are prototypes and Samantha is one of those and Harmony is the other. And Harmony and then the sort of sister model, if we want to call it that, Solana, which is made by the same company. So despite all this talk in newspapers and how these sex robots are going to take over, you can't actually buy one right now. But they are being supposedly being built, but they're definitely being prototyped. It is not by any means a huge market. It's not being done by big companies. It's just a few workshops, a handful of workshops around the world, generally workshops that make very high-end sex dolls that are putting in some mechanisation, some robotics, and a little bit of AI for chatting. Mm-hmm. Well, you you say that, and obviously it's a, a absolutely, I think the, the, the global market for sex toys is $27 billion. Mm, yeah. And I would suggest that considering what we're going through at the moment we've just come out of in London a lockdown we are potentially going back into a a variable lockdown situation of social distancing again and something like a sex robot I'd imagine may have become even more the forefront of of tech technologists roster. There's definitely been an uptick in sales of sex tech since lockdown. So people are buying more sex toys. And certainly companionship, which is the really interesting thing about sex robots, is the companionship aspect. Certainly people have been missing out on companionship. Uh, So maybe this was the time to go to market with these things. So let's just go back to basics a bit, because I know that companionship and attachment is really of interest for you. And I'm really interested in attachment theory. But for anyone that's listening that doesn't, has never even heard of a sex bot before, they don't even, they literally, this is the first time. 
What plans, Samantha, do? So the sex robots we have today, and Samantha's actually stopped, they've stopped making Samantha now. Um, the, the creator of Samantha has decided not to continue with that project. May so, I ask you why? So he's had some really bad press, very negative press, um, because of a story that came out that the Samantha robot was sexually molested at a trade show, which has some elements of truth in that story in that there was a model of the the robot on display but there was no sexual element to this molestation it's just that people were free to touch the doll and of course when you get lots of people thousands of people walking through knowing that they can touch and squeeze and pull and push uh, very quickly there's damage done that it was reported in the media that this was uh, men molesting a, um, a, a doll um, but I spoke to both the owner of so the creator of Samantha and to some people who'd been there and they said, no, that that really wasn't it. And I think it's been a, a part of that has been a mistranslation between the creator who was speaking uh, in one language and the journalist who was speaking a different language. And they've got wires crossed and used words that don't have quite the same connotations. And so this story is has been picked up and reported all around the world about essentially, you know, sex doll almost rape of a sex doll um, when it really wasn't that. Mm-mm-mm. And that is an area that I think ethically people are very concerned about. Absolutely. Yeah. With what, what, what it means to have a sex doll in a home where a man could potentially treat it however he wanted to and what that means for, for, for women. But what, what, what could samantha do before she went out of production okay so samantha was able to um interact like a chatbot so much like a more advanced version of alexa or siri so called a conversation a rudimentary conversation and she couldn't really move from the from the neck down same as the the harmony doll that real doll make so stationary can't stand up on her own. And I'm using, I'm deliberately using her to describe these dolls. I'm, I'm deliberately gendering the doll at this stage. Um, couldn't stand up on her own, um, but had, had all the sort of parts of a sex doll. So, uh, breasts, a vagina, a mouth, the, the mouth of vagina, vagina and the anus could be penetrated. Um, so she did, she was actually a sex doll with some, some mechanism put in, some robotics put in, but and some sensors put in, but also an AI program that worked as a chatbot. And again, another really basic, potentially daft question, but probably the closest thing that some people may have identifiable with that is probably something that people could identify with is the blow-up doll. Right. So these are not like the blow-up dolls for comedy value stag nights. These are expensive pieces of kit. So for a a realistic sex doll, you are talking, you know, upwards of $5,000 if you buy sort of a, a good high-end doll. So these are not cheap things. And the people who buy the dolls buy them for a number of different reasons. And interestingly, sex is not the main reason quite often. So some people buy them for what they represent, so the idea of a, sort of a girlfriend. And yes, sex is there. Sex is part of that, but it's, it's more about the companionship. Some people buy them and they pose them and model them and photograph them. Um, some people buy them because they actually are attracted to the idea that it's not a person, that it is a doll. So there's a fetish aspect to it. So it really does vary. It's not a homogenous reason for buying these dolls. And it's people who it's generally men 
uh, and um, generally men who can afford to pay that sort of money for them as well. Not all of them are single, lonely men hiding away in a basement. So some people are in relationships already and the sex doll becomes part of their relationship or an aside to the relationship. Some people are on their own and that's why they want to have the doll. So it really does vary. Well, I can really identify because I... When I first got Siri, I used to love having a chat with Siri and asking Siri ridiculous questions. And recently I got an Alexa and I really genuinely, oh, she just went. She heard you. (laughs) (laughs) And, and I, and I enjoy the play of uh, waking her up in the morning, you know, and getting her to put Radio 4 on for me, occasionally Radio 1, mostly Radio 4. And then during lockdown, a friend of mine, a really dear friend of mine, told me that his father was speaking to Alexa. So I can really understand why a human being who was lonely or not lonely would buy a sex doll for companionship. Yeah. The, the thing is around it is that to date, is it true that all sex dolls are in the likeness of women? The vast majority. You can buy male versions and real dolls sell male versions. Quite a few do. Um, In terms of the sex robot version, they do say they're working on a male sex robot. But I'm inclined to think that's a little bit of a token gesture because they got a lot of stick about how this was basically fulfilling the most reductive stereotypes of womenhood imaginable. So, it's much harder to find a woman to talk about owning a sex doll. It tends to be something that's incredibly um, heteronormative for for men, this whole and al- area. And also they're coming out of Silicon Valley, which I believe today is still heavily populated by men. It is, it is. So I think we can sort of view the sex robots thing as a little microcosm of Silicon Valley. And if you look at things like Alexa and Siri and Cortana, all the voices of those voice assistants started off as female. And some of them you can change them now. So you can have Siri as set to be a man with a different accent. But they all by and large started, they all started as female voiced voice Mm. assistants because Silicon Valley want this idea of the subservient woman. And whether or not that was intentional is another matter. But that's what they've gone for. They've trying to build their secretary or their mother. You know, it's this this idea that a woman will assist you. And there's a lot of a lot of times you will hear this about, oh, but people want to hear the woman's voice. Oh, a woman's voice is friendlier. Um, but a lot of that is just feedback because that's what people are getting. So of course they're going to say it's friendlier because they don't have the alternatives. And mm. we, we should really be mixing up that narrative, I think. Mm, and and I do remember when Alexa came out, there was an immediate kickback from from women uh, around that, and it, and it was you know it was taken on, which is great. But I think one of the issues is is that there aren't enough women in tech working as a lecturer within that field yourself. Are you seeing a change, Kate? Because one of the reasons that I'm really excited to have you on today is uh, when my friend told me about your book, I was. I I softened into the fact that a woman was writing about this. And and unless we have more women at the forefront of tech and looking into AI, then we're going to continue to make sex dolls, which are in the likeness of women, and we're going to continue to have female assistants. Yeah, that's right. And I think that there are a lot of women in some of the areas I work in. So AI ethics, which is an area that I'm particularly passionate about, has a lot of women and a lot of women of colour who are doing really, really important work there. Things like exposing bias in systems and looking looking for that deliberate discrimination that happens and sometimes non-deliberate discrimination. Sometimes the, the 
the algorithm itself that wasn't intended to be biased that comes out as biased. So I think we're seeing that in some areas, but we're not seeing that uh, leading companies. We're not seeing women in those positions of power. And we're still seeing a workforce that is incredibly masculine driven with this toxic masculinity and this tech bro, bro grammar culture. Mm-hmm. Really interesting. Just coming back to the doll. I've got so many questions for you. Coming back to the doll. Can you just describe for the listeners which either 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 Melody or Samantha what they look like? Okay, so imagine uh, a very uh, well, so okay. Let me try and think about how best to do this. You they 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 look human like, but you're never going to mistake them for being an actual human. So it's a bit like a very sophisticated mannequin, but when you go to touch one of them. When you touch them, they're made from silicone. And when you touch them, they feel soft. They feel like someone's put moisturizer on their skin. And they take on the the ambient temperature of the room. So it's kind of eerie in some ways that you've got this human but not quite human. And there's a whole phenomenon of this known as the uncanny valley, which says that the closer something looks to real but it's not real, the more we get freaked out by it. So Mm. I remember when I first went to Real Doll to see their production and their workshop, I almost wanted to ask permission from the doll to touch it because you know, I was reaching out to touch the arm of this doll. And I thought, oh, should, maybe I should ask it first if it's OK to touch it, because they seem they seem real, but not real. Mm-hmm. And you know, they, these are dolls that they can't support their own weight. So they, they have to be posed or held in a frame. And but they can be. Then they have a like a, a, a skeleton um, of, of plastic or of metal so you can bend them into certain positions and poses and you can have them sitting down and things like that um that they take the form predominantly of a very stereotypical reductive female form so narrow waist large breasts uh curvaceous um generally with long hair big eyes full lips um it's it's kind of, you know, that reinforcement of a very, in some ways, very damaging body image. Um, but of course, that's what's selling for them. And, mm-hmm. you know, what market research has gone into this, I'm not sure. Mm-hmm. Do we know if people want that in their dolls or are they serving it up because they think people want that in the dolls? And you can choose to a certain extent. There is almost like a menu of customization where you can choose things like skin tone, hair color, eye color, things mm. like that. But the one thing mm. they won't do is make make a version that looks like someone that you know, although they have licensed versions of porn performers who have sold their rights and said, yes, you can make a doll version of me, and then they profit off of that. Mm. Um, but they will not make um, a, a doll that resembles a living human unless that human has been there and signed a piece of paper in their presence to say, yeah, it's okay for you to make this doll of me. Mm, but um, they basically look like kind of a, a version of Barbie or what they we are. Had yeah, it is pretty much like that. Yeah. yeah. And in a world where we've just had a woman, young woman with Down syndrome front the Gucci campaign, it just seems a bit of a shame that the tech industry is so behind in terms of, I'm not suggesting that a sex doll should be a um, young woman with Down syndrome. It's just that, that we're we're moving so rapidly into a more inclusive society. I find it slightly distressing. I would say that 
that we're now in the, in the future, which is tech and human, I get it, AI and, and human, it, it, we need both, but that somehow or other they're so you know, repressed and, and backwards in the way that they see women. Yeah, it's it's interesting because it's very much catering to the male gaze. And we, you know, that's, it's just perpetuating what's already out there. And there's plenty of that negative approach to women's bodies out there already. So it is unfortunate that that's just being carried on like that. Mm. However, I, and I'm very reluctant to be some kind of spokesperson for sex dolls, but I mean, I, I, I certainly don't see them as as appearing as harmful as people think they might be. Mm. Uh, I'm not entirely comfortable with some aspects of it, but I think that when it comes to the way that people treat the dolls, that's very interesting because by and large, the people who buy these dolls are incredibly respectful of them, incredibly, and mm. cherish them and really look after them and are horrified at the idea of people harming them. Mm. So let's just like like round this up a bit, okay? Not because we're finishing, but like just where we're at now. So we've got these kind of commercially in inverted commas perfect mythical female dolls mm-hmm. that can have sex with you and respond in a partly sensual way they can speak back to you and well share. uh the the robot prototype version can the the regular sex dolls no they don't speak at all they're just okay. they're just okay. dolls they're, 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 and, they're, and and is it correct that they're all compliant at the moment that is that's a tricky one because the of the of the two dolls that kind of had that interaction going that i've seen demonstrated compliance as you as you might call it that's something that can be altered so there is rumors <laughs> so this is a difficult one there many years ago now there was a sex robot prototype um made by a company called true companion and I'm very careful about what I say about True Companion because the, the guy that runs it is quite litigious and likes to send out threatening letters to anybody who suggests that he might be in any way fraudulent. Mm. All I'm saying is no one's ever seen a finished version of that. But the thing about the True Companion doll, which is called Roxy with a triple X, um, Roxy was supposed to have different moods. So she would be um, Wild Wendy or Frigid Farah and things like this. So you, you were supposed to be able to pick a mood... <laughs> Hey, wow. Uh, I know. Um, I know. <laughs> so, I'm so glad that this doesn't, that Roxy doesn't exist. If those were her alter egos. Yeah. I mean, yeah. <laughs> so uh, Roxy is, is often tied as being kind of a real danger because you had this kind of potential situation where a doll was, was not being compliant and therefore that was going to turn people on even more. But this has never actually come out commercially at all this was just the sort of talk of the the person who was trying to make these dolls really interesting there's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with plush care plush care accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board certified physicians who can prescribe fda approved weight loss medications like wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news... 
All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Sting, I think for me, the question was stemming from my very new, very basic interest in algorithm. And you mentioned it earlier on, and I've I've just watched the documentary on Netflix, The Social... Social Dilemma. Interesting. Social dilemma, and mm. it's about that algorithms grow, that once they're created, to a certain extent, we lose control of them. And obviously, coming back to our, at the moment, female sex bots that are being developed, you know, okay, so you have, you, you know, you're... You buy a female sex robot to be your companion and occasionally to have sex with or as regularly as you, as you want to. And, and that robot has an algorithm in it that starts to respond to you and get to know you at a very basic level. That's right. And the creator of Harmony, Matt McMullen, who, who is the founder of Real Doll, he has really emphasized it's about that getting to know you. It's about that aspect of intimacy. And he said, we're focusing almost all of our energies on companionship. And he his... What he said was, you know, it's about having someone that you feel cares about you and is interested in you. So instead of coming home to an empty house, you have a robot that springs to life and talks to you. And that was his vision for for building the Harmony robot. And, you know, in some ways, I think his take is is quite naive in suggesting that this is going to be a, a cure for loneliness. But in some in other ways, think, well, that is if you're going to have any goal about making sex robots, perhaps that's quite a noble one. You know, so someone's getting value out of this and someone's feeling okay about it. I I mean, I completely love it and I'm really on board. I'm I'm asking you some quite tough questions because I have a discomfort in my stomach as a feminist around the fact that they're all female. But actually, in terms of the future, I'm, I'm really excited about them. I just wondered, regarding the algorithm, is there any danger, Kate, for those us us civilians out here that know so little that the sex robot, my 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 sex robot that I buy in five years' time when they finally develop the, the man, he'll be called Frank. When Frank and I are at home and his algorithm's off and getting to know me, is there any danger at all that, that algorithm will become so clever that he will outsmart me? Very unlikely. We're a really, really long way away from if it ever happens, artificial general intelligence. So what we have now in AI are algorithms that can do things in a very narrow and specific task really well. Okay, So, for example, play chess or play Go or classify images or translate from one language to another. So they're all really good when they're applied to the specific thing that they want to do. But broadly, we don't have and may never have algorithms that are generally smart like us that can reason and that can think like us this is music to my <laughs> in fact the the ai community is quite split some people think that we will never ever reach that stage and other people think that it's inevitable that one day we will have machines that can do that and i kind of agnostic about it i sort of sit on the fence so i think that we may see an emergence someday of machine intelligence but it won't necessarily look like human intelligence in the same way that when we look at the way animals 
think for for many years we didn't think that animals were particularly clever and then we find out that oh my god an octopus is really smart you know so perhaps there's going to be that aspect to it as well so we we don't have to worry about algorithms taking over and there's enough to worry about with the algorithms we have today and about how they entrench bias and how about they how they discriminate so we're already seeing problems with algorithms but it's not going to be the out of control ai type thing I am so excited by that. But do you think that someone can fall in love with their robot? Yes. So that is what has intrigued me and fascinated me. And I don't think it's a replacement for human-human love. I don't think it's the same as human-human love. But I think it is, we, we would be cruel and unfair if we said it wasn't love because people get attached to things all the time in many different ways and who am I to judge whether someone's feelings, strong feelings about something qualifies love. And I think that it's really with with computers, we 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 talk to computers in a social manner. We uh, engage with them, even if it's just a laptop or a printer. You know, we get angry at our printers. <laughs> so if we can get angry at a printer. Sure, we can fall in love with a sex robot. But I mean, that sounds flippant. But we engage socially because we are social creatures. And so a robot doesn't have to be conscious of it loving us back. It just has to pretend to love us back. And maybe that's enough for us. Maybe it doesn't even have to pretend. Maybe we just project. So I think that feeling of attachment is perfectly valid. I, I'm not going to argue whether or not that's a good thing. You know, that's not for me to judge. Uh, but I don't think it's going to replace human-human relationships. Do you think that there'll come a time in the future when a robot might be able to love us back? I I don't think it will consciously, uh, certainly not in my lifetime, we won't see machines that can consciously love us back in any way. But we can certainly build machines that take take in readings from our bodies and make that make a response that is appropriate so it's called effective computing and it's things like if you have a wearable on for example um, it's got your heart rate we can measure skin response we can measure breathing we can measure arousal so we could get a computer that brings that all together runs some algorithms on it and then thinks of a response that will mean something to us so again, it's not real, uh, use sort of inverted commas there, in that the robot itself or the AI itself is not feeling something, but it's processing the information and it's giving us back the semblance of feeling. I am having an absolute crisis. So basically, Kate, what you're telling me is that when I tell Siri that I love him and he tells me he loves me back, he doesn't mean it. Well, sorry, a bit flighty. <laughs> <laughs> but the, the really interesting thing is that you know, I don't think, I think we can get a lot out of those. I don't think it's deception at all. I think we can get a lot out of those encounters without having to be deluded into thinking that the machines care about us. We put people into different social categories. Um, I've got a, a friend and colleague, Julie Carpenter, who is a researcher on robot interactions. And she looked at the link between military personnel and bomb disposal robots. And it was fascinating because there is a real strong bond there. Well, of course there is. They rely on these robots to live mm. um, and you know that that bond is really really strong even though people know that those robots can't feel anything to the mm. point where anecdotally soldiers are having funerals for destroyed bomb disposal robots I'm going to cry that's so beautiful but there are so many lovely examples you know if we think about how we we bond with pets and I know some people will get quite upset the idea that I'm comparing a machine to a, a living breathing pet but those feelings are at play there 
And mm-hmm. just because it's, you know, not, I mean, I mean, if you think about a dog, dogs love you. Of course they do. And imagine if you felt that way about a robot and the robot loved you or appeared to. As for cats, I mean, everyone loves cats and then the cats don't even blooming love you back properly. They just want fed and then they wander <laughs> off, you know. So maybe it'd be better. With, that's unfair to cats. I know I'm a dog person, but <laughs> but if we think about those interactions, I I don't think it's I don't think it's a terrible thing. I don't think we're deceiving anyone. Now, if we were, if we were saying this robot can understand you, or if we were giving the robot to someone with dementia or to a child and lying about it and saying, yes, this robot understands you, I think that would be deception. Mm. But we can build, we can build a social category where we say, we know it's a machine. We will talk to it like a machine mm. in the same way that we, we know Alexa can only do so much. And we've got to talk to Alexa in a specific way or Siri or whatever. We have to start by saying their name and then you have to phrase the sentence in a particular way. We modify our behavior to suit that social category. And so I think that we can do that with machines and it, it will not take away any essence of our humanity. So they can sort of develop in a way a contained digitalized consciousness where it's not free floating it's not able it may get stronger in a particular area but it's never going to be autonomous that's right so we think about us being conscious it's very hard to tell what consciousness is we all kind of have an understanding of it but there's no test for consciousness Um, and the closest we can do is test for the appearance of consciousness which is completely different thing so I think we can we can make machines that seem to us as if they are thinking and engaging with us, but there's no understanding behind that. But maybe that's enough for us. Maybe we can just accept that those interactions are fine and that we can we can live with that. We've sort of touched on quite a lot of the um, social rewards of the 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 at the moment heavily female sex robots and one of the areas that I'm quite keen to talk to you about because I think it's one of your areas of interest is how they function within sex work yeah so it was there have been some people looking into this um so in terms of sex robots um one of so there have been a number of sex doll brothels as they're called opened up in a number of cities throughout the world and there was initially a newspaper report um, from, I think it was Spain, I think it was Barcelona, that said this is going to really annoy all the sex workers in the area because it's competition. And actually, the sex workers in the area said, no, it isn't. This is completely different from what we do. This is this is an, a complete novelty thing. And it's not about what our role is at all. And, you know, I, I think that got, this goes into then a, a, a very long um, debate in the research area about what is and isn't appropriate. And I use that with quotation marks as well. Um, so we have people who are very much against the idea of the sex robot because they see parallels to sex work and they want to, they want to get rid of sex robots. They want to abolish sex work. Um, they're very anti-porn. There are lots of different moralistic things coming to play here as well. Um, so it's, it's really tricky because you can't come to this subject without having to take a stance on where you are in terms of your feminist viewpoints. And I'm very clear in the book, I, I do say, you know, I am a pro-sex feminist. I have some radical leanings, but I think that sex is not a um, a terrible thing. I think that sex is something that should really be enjoyed and can be very powerful and good. And that you don't have to do, you don't have to have sex within the constraints of a heteronormative marriage or anything like that. And that some of the things we consider 
sex, you know, some of the things that people, some of the things people consider sex, um, stop at a certain point. So, you know, you get a lot of people saying, well, it's sex if it's, if it's penis and vagina penetrative sex, and then refuse to, you know, even acknowledge that sex is much wider than that. So I think that, it's really interesting when you start reading all these philosophical papers about what is sex anyway? And what are these robots? Um, you know, it does masturbation kind of sex. It's a sex toy, actually a sex mm. toy, if you're just using it by yourself and all this kind of thing. Um, and that's been a really interesting thing to look at and, and just find out where people put these boundaries and for what counts and what doesn't and what to their mind is acceptable and what isn't. Mm-hmm. Another thing that can be... Uh, Another thing that has been touted around as a reason for women to really embrace this future is that these sex robots at the moment, based on on women, on the female form, could actually enhance their relationship with their partner. Can you say a bit more about that? Because I'm, I'm so, are they talking about, I mean... Aside from the interaction and having someone in your home that you can both make friends with and talk to, are they talking about sexually? I mean, there, there, that has been suggested. Um, and you find all kinds of arguments put forward. So the the person um, who wrote sort of the, the first best-selling book on this uh, was David Levy, who wrote a book called Love and Sex of Robots. And he had a very utopian vision of sex robots. And he said, you know, men will want a sex robot because it fulfills all their sexual desires. And women will want a sex robot so their husband doesn't pester them for sex, which I find incredibly, <laughs> incredibly centered on a on a particularly narrow male view of what sex is. Um, and, you know, so I think that his utopian vision was was very well-meaning, but, you know, this is assuming many, many things that I do not feel are true. Um, so there are, I am particularly interested in how we move away from this idea of the female form in a sex robot. How do we move away from this kind of reductive Barbie doll figure and go into something much more interesting because we have so many cool technologies. We can make something that doesn't necessarily look or attempt to look like a realistic human. Like a, like a, a, a man or a woman yeah actually. and I I find that I've heard you talk about that a little before and I, that was where I was coming to next so this is perfect timing I'm really curious because at the moment I feel that we have a renaissance of the individual and there are boundaries being pushed in terms of gender what is gender our gender norms are being challenged I would suggest and it's quite exciting to me this idea that a robot maybe doesn't need to be either or I was talking to a couple of girlfriends the other day who for the first time in their life are having a relationship with each other they've been with men up till now and I I think I asked them quite simply whether or not in my words this was their first lesbian relationship and they said well we don't see ourselves as lesbians we see ourselves as as poly that they've just they fall in love with women and I was like oh yeah I can see how that would happen there's been a couple of women in my life that I have had feelings like that for and, and they're not gone there but what does so that that's where we are I wouldn't have had that conversation with these two women in my life 10 years ago there may have been certain sections of society that might have been having those conversations but it is becoming more and more accepted to talk about these things in a very open-minded way how can we use the future of sex robots to support us in this thinking and allow us to an even greater freedom around sex and gender I think one of the biggest changes there has been is just the the widespread use of the internet and it's been wonderful because people can find their own tribes people can 
go step outside of the very narrow box that society was trying to keep people in. And I really love it for that. So for all the terrible things that we find on the internet, and my God, there are terrible things out there and there's damaging things out there. I'm a tech optimist and I think that it's done far more to unite people than it has to, to, to manufacture hate, for example. And, uh, you know, th- one of the really lovely things about this technology is we don't have to stick with the idea of the sex doll as sex robot. And so the sort of end part, the sort of last part of my book is about how we move away from that. How do we use technology in new ways that allows us to step outside this particularly heteronormative look at what a sexual partner should be or an artificial sexual partner should be and so in 2016 and again in 2017 I ran sex tech hackathons and those were 24 hours where people came together and worked in groups to prototype new forms of sex toys or not even sex toys we were looking at more widely at tools for intimacy technology for intimacy how could we rethink and redesign those types of sex toys and sex robots to be more inclusive, to be um, to, to fit all sorts of bodies, to um, spark, you know, interesting sensual experiences, to move away from even the embodied type of sex toys and into disembodied, so signed and virtual reality and all sorts of things. And that for me was one of the most exciting things I got to do. It was just so much fun and just these wonderful people from all walks of life came together to do that. And we had people who were scientists, people who were artists, musicians, psychologists, sex toy experts, all of them getting together to prototype new ideas. Wow. What was your favourite? Oh, I don't know. There were just so many. I think one of them I really loved was um, it was a, a peacock's tail made out of paper. And so what happened was there was a, the, the, the team, um, they got a vaginal egg and they said, right, if someone has a penis, you know when they're aroused. There's a visible Kate, sign of arousal. Just to, sorry, Kate, just to interrupt you. Yeah. For the listeners, you, you, you say, when you say they got a vaginal egg. Yes. Okay, so a sex toy. Toy. Yes, a sex toy that is egg-shaped, right? So yeah. it's a... It's an, a an electronic or just a, a, an egg? A, a... No, it's an electronic one. So it's, a, it's, it's one that has vibrators in it, okay? So a vibrating motor in it. So they got this, this egg. And they said, right, if you have a penis, you can tell if someone's arised because there's a visible sign there of arousal. But not so with the vagina, because there's not the external, the same external level of, of signs given to say that someone's arised. You're having to go on a lot of other things as well. So what they did was they put moisture sensors on the egg. And they said, right, when those sensors get wet, the peacock's tail will open in a big fan. <laughs> Which I just thought was wonderful. I just thought it was so yeah. cool. And, you know, f- what I loved about it was it's not just an expression, like an artistic expression, but you can imagine that working for all sorts of things like prosthetics, for example. I mean, that's just really, really cool. We had another one that made these kind of another group that made these um, silicon ten- tentacles that could curl around parts of your body. So you could put it on your arm and it would sort of squeeze and hug you. Or a shawl. I called it a sensory shawl. They called it a sex blanket. But essentially, a, a shawl with sensors in it that you could wear. And then if you were in a, an augmented reality or a virtual reality environment and you saw these computer-generated rose petals fall on you, the shawl sensors would trigger and you would actually feel them on your skin. Wow. So you could make these really beautiful immersive experiences. And we have all this tech. We have 
we have, you know, things that can read our body and we have things that can give us feelings and, and, and sensors that can touch us. So we can build new sensual experiences, not just around sex, but about int- more broadly about intimacy. Yeah, sex, sex and sensual. Do you think that there's any truth in the idea that one of the reasons why men are moving forwards with this is because women have had sex toys that are... Of course, you can share your sex toy with your partner. And there are some uh, sex toys developed specifically for men. But the majority of sex toys is quite an unusual thing to have an industry where I would suggest 90% of the of, of the products that actually within the sex, within within sex and sensuality it's quite exciting to me that the majority of toys are for women yeah i mean that's culturally varies though uh, certainly in the uk um there is a i think a predominance of women um sex toys aimed at women but in other countries that shifts so in japan there's a lot of sex toys for men for example um but yes i think that in yeah i think in in certainly in sort of western culture um definitely it seems as much less taboo for women to have sex toys and it becomes more of a, uh, it's still for men, it's still seen as a, why would you want one of those? Can't you get a woman type of thing, you know? And I think, so we see, um, we do see that sort of split as well, where if you're a straight man, it's not considered to be as acceptable to have a sex toy, you know? Mm. So there's still a lot of taboo around that. And I think with women, um, it was the late 90s with Sex and the City that kind of started, kicked off this idea that maybe sex toys aren't taboo. Maybe you could go and buy a rabbit vibrator and it's OK. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and it's really seals have rocketed since then. Um, mm-hmm. But for men, there hasn't been that defining cultural moment where everyone's gone. Actually, no, it's fine now. You can you can totally go and buy yourself a sex toy, which mm-hmm. is a shame because there's some really cool stuff out there. I think yeah. for for men, I mean, this, uh, I, and, and Kinsey had done some work on this. That the, you know, the idea that it's less necessary for men because they have a hand that works very efficiently, um, and so this idea of the sex doll, it's something more than just an object. It is, it's a manifestation of more things. It's a manifestation of companionship because it is in the form of a human. Mm. Um, and I wonder, is that a big part of it? Mm-hmm. I mean, just touching on the social acceptance of vibrators in 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 the west there are many countries where they're still illegal that's right including the u.s in alabama you cannot um buy apparently um buy a vibrator in alabama which is extraordinary and back to men and the ability of a man to bring himself to orgasm with his hand i think again it's almost encouraged sometimes within cultures that I know about for young men to do that in a way that for a woman we weren't taught to have desire or to look into self-pleasure and learn how to pleasure ourselves and and that that is changing the final thing around this industry is and you touched on the taboo for men around sex toys but do you feel that it's properly funded or do you feel that the sort of suggestion that it is dirty or there is some vice around it or that it's somehow dangerous or taboo to use your word is still blocking the progress of sex dolls i think with sex dolls i i don't ever see the sex robots becoming a big mass market thing i just don't think it will happen they're too expensive it's far too difficult to make human-like robots 
Um, and there's really not the demand that that you know we we would really expect for something to go into mass scale production. So I don't think that that's ever going to kick off. But for sex tech, more broadly, with interesting things being done with vibrators and all kinds of things, um, I think that's much more likely. And it's, but it's still got this taboo because two years ago, the consumer electronics show wouldn't let a vibrator, a smart vibrator company exhibit on the showroom, on the trade show floor, even though they had a sex robot <gasps> there, demoed there. They would not let a female led company show their vibrators there. And they rolled back on that last year. So it was Laura DiCarlo who are looking at sort of AI part and robotic sex toys. Really, really innovative company. And they got to go back there um, after being banned in 2019. They got to go um, this yeah. year and show their robotic massagers. But yeah. we're still, still in this day and age where it is acceptable for a novelty value of having a sex robot on their on their exhibition floor, but it wasn't okay to have a vibrator. And I think that there's still that level and it's stacked against women designing things for their pleasure. Absolutely. And thank God they did get to go back this year and that people are fighting for change in this area. Kate, we're running out of time and I think you're going to have to come back on later. I know you've got a, another book that's been slightly put down due to, pardon the pun, due to the, the current situation with the coronavirus. I would love you to come back. I on. will come back. <laughs> I, I could talk to you for hours. Just to close, what are your, for the future, or, for, or actually maybe the ones that are out. What are your your favourite three sex toys on the market today? Oh, that's a really good question. I don't want to, I don't want to um, favourite some people's over others. Let me see. Um, in terms of innovation and interest, I would say I think the Mystery Vibe Crescendo is fascinating. So it's a it's a bendable smart vibrator. It's malleable. You can twist it along one axis and, and it's got sort of, I think, six motors and nine motors in it. It's, but it's so fascinating because it can be used all points of your body. It's not just as a, an insertable vibrator. And it, I think it's just really fascinating. And, um, I was delighted to become friends with, um, Stephanie Elise, who, who was one of the founders of that company. And I just loved her vision for that. It was really good. She's moved so, on from there now. Um, yeah. Does it, is it, does it move like a snake on its own? Or no, it doesn't. You have to bend it with your hands, but you, you form it into a shape and then you can program the vibration pattern. So you can, Great. yes, it's really cool. Oh. So it's controllable. You can control oh. the different motors and you can control the vibration pattern. So it's really, really good. Um, another one I really like, which I think is brilliant, another British company, um, Hot Octopus. And Hot Octopus do um, what they call the, the guy vibrator, the first vibrator for men. And it looks a bit like an egg with the side missing on it. And they designed it um, to be suitable for people with, um, it was for, for people with spinal cord injuries and for people with erectile dysfunction so that they could reach orgasm without using their hands, without having to touch the penis. So you sort of set it over the penis and it vibrates with these little pads. But you can also use it um, with other people there as well because they've got a version with a motor on the outside so you can have someone pressed up against it on the other side as well. Ooh. So it's, it's, it's absolutely brilliant. And they've got such an amazing and positive ad campaign and they're incredibly inclusive and it's just really lovely to see accessible sex toys. And then the third one, and it's not in any way robotic. It's not in any way programmable. 
it's just the doxy vibrator and it's amazing <laughs> that would be my number one sex toy I just think and if anyone comes to me and goes I want to buy a vibrator what vibrator should I get I will say buy a doxy <laughs> you love Kate <laughs> sorry I feel, I feel like this is not I feel like we I let you off doing the quiz at the beginning but I feel like a taste of the quiz what is it about the doxy, the doxy it's just it's just a very powerful um massage one vibrator and it's 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 plugged you know it's a mains operated one you plug it in it's never going to go flat it's absolutely not to orgasm in 60 seconds it's just a great piece of kit and it was as far as I know the people who designed it used to be they used to have a scaffolding company so it's this really industrial kind of yeah. solid piece of kit <laughs> so yeah I recommend the doxy massager <laughs> I'm off to go and google the doxy and buy one immediately on <laughs> Kate thank you I mean I feel like I have learned so much and I'm so grateful for you for giving us your time today well it's been lovely to talk to you I hope you've enjoyed it and I do hope you'll come back definitely that was Kate Devlin I'm Mika Simmons this is the Happy Vagina thank you so much for listening my grandma, so your grandma, I'm gonna